0: When we're preaching the charisma and preaching who Jesus Christ is, this is an offensive act to the world of evil.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly podcast where we talk about encounters with God. I am your host, Michael Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dave Terror of Demons, Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? Stop it with the nicknames. This is so, nope. this is ridiculous. Nope. This is the most exciting part of my day, <laughs> is when I get to come up with nicknames for you. How you doing, man?
0: Oh, I'm good. I'm good. This is uh, <laughs> this is like a, a strange and exciting time in my life because of the new job that I'm doing right now. It's like I've never had to worry about anything other than evangelization. I've had I've had a really cool boss for like seven years who just would let me neglect every other part of my job besides evangelization. <laughs> and and now it's like that, like my new boss is awesome also, but we just can't do that because we're trying to merge these two parishes. So I just have a lot of interpersonal issues to deal with. And it's like, it's just it's making me stretch and grow and you know they're not things that i'm all that good at so
1: oh man yeah there there, there is this one conversation that i go back to um that i had with sean forrest he's a catholic musician he started an orphanage down in haiti he's a really good speaker good dude all around and um i was hanging out with him one time and we were talking about like how i'm terrible at certain administrative tasks okay. but i'm really good at what i'm really good at you know yeah. and he said he said, listen, man. He says, don't worry about those administrative tasks. Don't be terrible. He said, but the whole idea is you're not good at those things. Concentrate on getting better at the things you're really good at. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. yeah. But turns out on uh, performance reviews, they don't necessarily <laughs> share that, uh, that viewpoint.
0: <laughs> oh, I love it. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. And it's just it's strange because um, I tend to be such a bull in the China shop as far as I'm just so blunt about evangelization. Right, right. And so like I've come to literally come into meetings where I like say, I feel like I should just give a disclaimer here. Like I'm I'm really not a jerk and I'm not a taskmaster, but I only care about one single thing. And that includes sometimes I have a hard time caring about feelings and, <laughs> you know, things like that. I only care about evangelization. And like you have to understand that to understand me or it might not work, you know, which is like, you know, I can't make excuses, but that, that is my, excuse. <laughs> I,
1: I can't make excuses, but I'm going to go ahead and make excuses. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It is, it is funny. You know, um, I had a youth minister write to me and she said, I just graduated college. Uh, I love being a youth minister, but what do I need to do to survive at a parish? And I said, number one, make friends with the clergy secretary. Yep. Number two, <laughs> number two, uh, Answer emails within 24 hours, phone calls within 12 hours. If you could do those three things, 80% of the uh, gossip about you will disappear, right. right? like As long as you have those things going for you, you're good to go. So I'm uh, friends with the uh, priest assistant. So I got one. You better be. Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) anywho, today is going to be an interesting one because Dave is a clear expert here in this area. So I think we're going to kind of mix it up. And I'm going to, maybe I'm not going to interview you, Dave, but I'm going to let you definitely take the lead with a capital L (laughs) on this one. We are going to talk about spiritual warfare in the everyday Christian life, our common experience of fighting and resisting Uh, Evil, resisting... And evangelization. Yeah. And evangelization. But you'll see how it unfolds in the life of an evangelist, and not just in the life of an evangelist, but in every single Christian's life, right? So how do you resist evil, whether that comes from the world of flesh or the devil? So spiritual warfare is a big, broad topic. Dave, there's a lot of issues around it where people... You know, there's a lot of misunderstandings. Sure. I don't know about you, but I got all my spiritual warfare understanding from just watching The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2 and then The Nun. Oh, gosh, that sounds so scary. I know, right? All of those. No, I never watch horror (laughs) movies. No, thank you. No, thank you. So why don't you start us off? What What is spiritual warfare? So uh, traditionally, you kind of hit on
0: it. Uh, the church would call spiritual warfare is that battle between man and those three things that try and draw us away from God, which would be the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, and I think, you know, we oftentimes don't really focus on our life as spiritual warfare, one of the things I always like to point out is that it's, it's much more than an analogy, right? So St. Paul will use the analogy of like running the race or, you know, people use analogies of like climbing a mountain or something. And those are analogies, but spiritual warfare is more than that. It's, it's a reality. Okay. And so um, I think it's an important point to, for evangelists to understand that, you know, in particular, we're not just, you know, trying to win some, we're not just trying to sell we're literally trying to conquer, in a certain sense, right? And so, um, you know, we see from the tradition of the church, right, that the through sin, the whole world is is in the, is in some sense in the dominion of the devil, right? And so is kind of working against uh, this whole idea of having a relationship with God. And so it quite literally is a struggle between two kingdoms: the kingdom of evil and the kingdom of darkness. And I love the. Quote by C.S. Lewis, I guess I can't call it a quote because I'll probably butcher it. But he said that, you know, every second, every moment of human history has been claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Uh, and and the church puts it extremely succinctly in Gaudium et Spes, uh, one of the documents of Vatican II. He, they say the whole of man's history has been the story of dour combat with the powers of evil stretching. So our Lord tells us from the very dawn of history until the last day. Finding himself in the midst of the battlefield, man has to struggle to do what is right and it is at great cost to himself and aided by God's grace that he succeeds in achieving his own inner integrity, right? The whole of history is this story of the combat between uh, man and the devil, the world and the flesh, you know, and and
1: it's kind of seems like in this day and age, right, everything's pulling us in different directions, I think one of the key things to understand is as Christians engaged in the project of evangelization, introducing people. When I say as Christians, what I mean is everyone has a call to evangelize you are not allowed to not be a witness to jesus christ however some people it's not only the calling of their rooted in their baptism but it's also a specific charism that god has given you and a specific vocation right so me and you we have taken a much more active role than i would think an average lay person would take sure but Everyone is called to evangelize. So too, everyone is called to engage in spiritual warfare. Right. We are all called to be sober and alert and to realize that the world, the flesh, and the devil are, are antithetical to God. So what do we mean by the world? Um, the world can be used in, in you know, three or four different ways, like just the natural space, right? the world. Right. Right? The theater of the drama of redemption right? Where Christ came for God so loved the world. That's the other sense. But then the world would use in a negative sense, worldly, right? Means specifically arrangements of power without God present, right? So the Roman empire where it was essentially a self-worshipping, self-referential empire, right? The world is this entire system built without the need for god and so it's antithetical to god because it says you don't need god the flesh what do we mean by that we don't mean the human body right what what the flesh means is fallen human nature and in the catholic church we teach that it's not total depravity that's uh some though not all of our protestant brothers and sisters hold this doctrine called total depravity where every single desire of the human person is evil right Now, we would hold that it is, we are concupiscent, we are bent towards evil, but we are not ipso facto, completely, totally, and utterly evil. So this understanding of the flesh is its desire towards that which is comfortable and pleasurable and not necessarily to that which is good. But when we get into this fourth or this uh, third category of the devil, this is where some people are like, yeah. Yeah, no, thank you. Or they think of it as pure superstition. Now, so the, here's a question that was put to me. Do you have to view, as a Catholic, Satan, the devil, you know, Lucifer, whatever, can that be a merely, um, like, an abstract way of viewing evil, or is it a personal being? No, that's
0: a that's an article of faith. So you look it up in you know one of the dogmas of the church. You're going to have to believe in a personal evil, right? So uh, this is a common thing that people do is they they say that the devil is like the personification of evil itself, and we just use it as use that name because it's easier to talk about a specific person and kind of make it into a myth that explains a lesson. But that's not the case, right? We we know very clearly. The story of the fall of the angels, right, that uh, God created the angels and gave them a test. And there was one angel in particular who led a revolt against the, uh, the God who created them, who uh, being just consumed by pride said, you know, in little T tradition, I will not serve. Right. I will not serve. Uh, I want to make myself God and so we we hold that that's that's lucifer and that you know that he was you know the 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 head of the fallen angels so yeah i mean we very much it's it's a dangerous thing to try and depersonify the devil right um although again just like we've done you know messed up our view of god in culture right we think he's like an old man sitting on a throne with a big white beard the devil has been totally, completely, right, uh, just, like, kind of cartoonized, right? We think of him as, like, in, like, red tights with, like, a pitchfork and little, you know, horns and things like that, right? This is is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a, you know, purely spiritual being
1: that is bent completely on man's destruction. So my question, uh, is the devil the opposite? of God. I hear so many Catholics like that. So awful. I know, it's not so? It is. It's disheartening. No, that's it's a... totally disheartening. Especially since my name is Michael. Yeah, right. And, you know, right. Like...
0: <laughs> no, it, it, this keeps coming back over and over again, right? This idea that this dualist idea of society, right? That there's two different gods, right? That yeah. one is like what they might not call him the evil God or that or this or they would call him the antithesis to what we believe is God, right? And this is so wrong, right? The devil is a created being and Every, every move he makes is completely and utterly governed by God, right? They play a mysterious role in the salvation of man uh, by testing us, right? They're part of the test that God is giving us uh, to, to show that we're worthy to enter into the kingdom, right? And so they play this mysterious role, uh, but it's all controlled by God, right? Everything, he can't do a thing without God's permission. And obviously, God does not will evil, he doesn't, but they play this mysterious role in the testing of man for salvation. And he, he couldn't do a thing. He couldn't do a thing without it. Um, you know, his, it, it, and, and in fact, we we're taught definitively, right? Dogmatically that Jesus Christ won once and for all a victory against the kingdom of evil on the cross. Each victory that we have in our own life is that victory, right? So Jesus Christ wins that victory over Satan on the cross and gives that almost like a present to his bride, the church. And as we enter more into the church, we we enter into that victory. And so, each little victory that happens in our own life, when we gain freedom, when we you know start to make progress against sin, that is the victory of the cross being applied to us today. Uh, and this is why it's so 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 important, right, to understand that because the, Satan plays a a big role in evangelization and in our spiritual lives. A big, you know, negative role, but to remember that God's love wins the day. There's no, there's no struggle here, right? As far as, uh, between God and Satan, the struggle is in our own lives, uh, with surrendering to God fully.
1: Yeah. So if you think of evangelization as this warfare that Christ is doing, you know, using words like ransomed and conquering death and all of this stuff, once you open your mind to that and you start reading, rereading like the letters of St. Paul and Peter and, you know, all this stuff, you begin to see this imagery of king and kingdom and conquer and warfare and ransom and all of this stuff. I think, yeah, I think like the two mistakes
0: I'm seeing like currently with evangelists and Christians um, who are just in their ideas of spiritual warfare is number one, that they look at it more as a personal faith issue. Okay. So that their, their victory in spiritual warfare is because of their personal faith, which is, is a true statement. Okay. We, we believe that our faith helps us in spiritual warfare. Uh, but it's not where the victory comes from. Okay. Uh, and, and, and number two, I think, uh, it, the, vi- well, sorry, let me go back. The victory is a a gift of be, from being part of Christ's body, the church, right? He gives that gift to the church. And so it is, it is ecclesial in that sense, okay, right? That through being part of the church, right, we are transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. But uh, This is what's important to understand is that we don't go this alone, okay? Right? Spiritual warfare is intrinsically linked to the communion of saints, okay? when I, When I'm like evangelizing and I'm trying to come against the powers of hell, it's not just my personal faith that's coming against the powers of hell. It is the entire church, history, future, all of this coming against the powers of hell, right? And uh, and it's important to understand that because we don't stand alone in this in any way whatsoever. And number two, I think another mistake that people make a lot is like kind of what you said, they just think that this is just a small part of the faith. And and it's just a, you know, like, well, for some people, they talk about this and And of course, you can can talk about it too much, but very clearly, when you get into the fathers of the church, you understand that this is how they understood life, period. To the point where, you know, with the desert fathers, it was almost an obsession of theirs that everything that went wrong, right? They were attributing to the devil, unfortunately, right? But but it, it was a very clear understanding of the father's that this is a battle that we are in. This isn't an analogy, it's not an allegory, it's not any of those things that we are actually at war and that we play the part in that war
1: by entering into the victory Christ gives us as his church. I mean, can you imagine here's an analogy. <laughs> can you imagine uh soldiers in World War II on the front lines fighting fighting the Nazis, right? And, you know, someone stumbles in new recruit doesn't know the nature of war, has never seen the nature of war, and acts flippantly, like, like oh, you know, maybe I'll go in my foxhole, maybe I won't. like right. There are all of these things, tools, trainings, and practices that involve staying alive and fighting the enemy. Right. And you go to boot camp, you go to training, you understand the enemy. Imagine you had a soldier who didn't even know that they were at war. Right. right? And that's the state, like, how absurd is that? But that's the state. I mean, we're watching half of all marriages end in divorce. We're watching, uh, you, know, the, the, you know, the most successful group of Americans, white males in their 40s and 50s, be the largest group committing suicide. Right. Like we, we are seeing the breakdown of all these metrics of a healthy culture and a healthy society and we don't realize this is a war. Right. Right. We don't even think of it in these terminology. And because we don't think of it, we're like a soldier who shows up at the battlefield and doesn't know he needs to bring a shovel to dig a foxhole because the enemy's coming out. Sometimes in spiritual warfare, the best <laughs> offense is a good defense, is, Absolutely. Yeah, is to run and hide within the wounds of Christ, right? So there, there are all these different things that we need to understand. And this is a very complicated topic, but there are so many tools— And weapons and attitudes that we need to have in this spiritual battle case in point. So this is part of evangelization. I'm sitting down with a gentleman, we're praying together, we're talking about this stuff. So I have upped my prayer game tenfold in the last two weeks because of this show. Um, whereas in the past I was a little bit intimidated and kind of weirded out I don't want to be that guy. It's like well let's pray I, I I don't know I feel like I I can be awkward with that but um you know so like 3 days ago or a week ago we were talking about another church scandal that's happening with these women religious god help us and um and I said guys I I am the one who leads the charge in ridiculing <laughs> these these things can we just pray can we pray for the victims can we pray for you know the people to repent can we pray And I've been doing that now. Every meeting I have, can we pray? Can we stop? Can we pray? And one of the things that I realize is the first weapon that we have is just simple, humble community prayer, like praying with one another. Uh, Where are you seeing, Dave, some of the biggest like tools or weapons or attitudes that we need to have in simple or in ordinary spiritual warfare?
0: Yeah. So I think well, one of the things is you know we we have kind of abandoned the idea of perfection of holiness right and so um we you know like we just don't talk about being holy anymore and by that i mean this there's very commonly not this this pers- this uh kind of attitude of being able to plateau in the Christian life right like well I don't do the big sins anymore and I don't do this and I don't do that so I, you know I'm pretty I'm pretty good where I'm at and you know that's just not the nature of the warfare that we live in right like the we need to be doing battle in ourselves and so I think most people when they hear the phrase spiritual warfare they think of it as like an outer warfare when really we need to rush to the inner warfare that's happening in our hearts first uh, because that, I mean, that is going to help you immensely in every aspect of your apostolates, in every aspect of your prayer, in every aspect of your liturgical life, in every aspect of your relationship to the church, it is winning the battle of your heart first before deciding to go out onto the front lines and and conquer, you know, publicly or physically in a certain sense, right?
1: Yeah, and going right along with that, so um, when I talk with people who feel like you know, they are burdened by an un- undue temptation, right? Like something's disproportionate in their past, in their life, you know, and they are quick to blame the devil. One of the things I say is um, we need to uncover and keep uncovering the lies beneath the beneath the lies. Right. Like St. Francis of Sales talks about when you go to confession, you find yourself confessing the same sins over and over again do a longer reflection, a longer examination of conscience, but ask yourself this question, why that sin over and over again? Like, why do I lie? Even if they might be little white lies or whatever, why do I find myself lying over and over again or speeding or, you know, something stupid like that? It can be so petty or it can be big. Why that sin? And so one of the things that we begin to do is we begin to uncover attitudes And wounds that we've received, that we've refused to look at, that could be there for decades of our lives. I'm 36 years old, and I can tell you one of the biggest struggles and freedoms I've ever found was a lie that I believed that my father loved my brothers more than me because they were the athletes. My oldest brother going on a basketball scholarship and all this stuff to college, um, and I was the nerd. And I, my dad's just a, a quiet guy, right? So I took, and I'm, and I'm a loud, dramatic human being. I mean, I have five podcasts. Um, so I took his silence to me as being a judgment and me being found wanting. So somewhere in my tiny little adolescent brain, I got in, this, in my mind that my father doesn't love me as much as he loves Chris and Brian. So there was this comparison with them. There was this, all of this stuff. But then within that I found that that was the root of my desire to look at pornography because it's like, I don't feel like a man because I'm not loved by the men in my life. Therefore, I'm going to go do it. And it brings this demonic distortion that is so huge. This is part of our spiritual warfare is gaining in not just like um, gaining in self-knowledge that's not just self-referential. It's like, Lord, I want to know this about myself so that I can uproot it and speak truth to these lies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what, what Satan's doing is just pushing, pushing, pushing back into those lies, right? He's just constantly trying to push you back into it. And I, what I found is that one of the tactics of Satan is always 100%. The first thing is they try and mess with your view of God and, and, and your view of how God views you. So like in your story, that's exactly what he did, right? That yeah. he's messing with the way your dad views you, which is exactly, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, we can connect to the way God views us. And so I found that all the time. In fact, working with people who, um, you know, who are spiritually afflicted, people who are experiencing it's severe, severe demonic attacks in their life, it is very common for me to say to them, oh, were you baptized? And they'll say something like this. They'll say, oh, I, you know, I was, but then I you know, I did this ceremony or I committed this sin and I like unbaptized myself or, or they might say like, so God doesn't love me anymore. And I'll say, you know, do do you realize like that that's not possible, right? Like when you're baptized, a covenant was created and it's not a contract. It's not like a handshake. It's not an agreement. It is an actual covenant that God must honor. And there is no chance. It's not possible to unbaptize yourself. It's not possible to, to come out of the effects of baptism in that sense, right? Uh, Oftentimes, just that knowledge is enough to free those people, because it so rapidly puts them in the perspective that we're supposed to be. Satan is always going to try and attack how how you think God views you, you know. And that, I I love it. There's always that like cheesy meme on Facebook that said, "God uh it says God's not mad at you, God's mad about you," or something like that. And I love it because. Even though it's like this cheesy meme, it's like, that is so true for so many people. They believe God's mad at them. And this is a clear, clear tactic of Satan. I see it over and over and over again in people's lives, especially those who are severely afflicted.
1: Now, and for those of you listening who maybe don't know David as well as I do, when Dave talks about severely afflicted, he is talking also about full-blown possessions because Dave assists at exorcisms
0: yeah so i uh, yeah, I've accompanied a lot of people who have been severely severely attacked in extraordinary ways, which again is very rare but um uh but I uh, you know been, really been able to accompany a lot of these people, and you just see this common path right of the Satan just attacking their understanding of how God looks at them and then also even attacking you know their understanding of how other christians look at them right so yep. they think they feel like they're constantly being judged or something like that
1: yeah and so this is the need to constantly repropose repropose the gospel let me say that again this is the need to constantly repropose the gospel uh because um a false gospel is Pelagianism and Pelagianism. He's a, Pelagius was a a priest theologian in the Catholic church who was excommunicated and it's, or not excommunicated, but he's a heretic. And his whole idea is essentially that Christ was not savior. He was the moral exemplar and we fell. The original sin of Adam was simply his bad example imitated by all of humanity. So Christ gave us the ultimate heroic moral example. And so the problem with that theology, right, the problem with that theology is it means that Jesus isn't a savior. You save yourself by your morally good actions, which completely contradicts everything in scripture about Christ coming as the king to ransom his people, right? This whole notion of his saving death. And so when we enter into this understanding of who Jesus is often what we have to do is repropose the gospel to people who think they know it because so many Christians will say things like, well, I used to be a Catholic, but, or I, yeah, I was baptized, but I did these, you know, things that, you know, ritual, I like how you just casually throw out these rituals, like, because you deal with Satanists and stuff. So, <laughs> oh yeah, totally, the, the rituals, like, what are you talking about? I think he's talking about like the Super Bowl rituals, like what kind of food right, right, right. Right. Um, But this whole idea of, Attacking your identity, won for you, purchased for you, ransomed for you by Jesus Christ, which can never be taken away. I mean, scripture is very clear we can be faithless, but God is faithful for he cannot deny himself. And so, um, constantly returning to that basic gospel message. You said something to me years ago that I think of all the time, all the time, which is you said, the uh, one of the, the powers of exorcism is you, the priest uses these prayers basically to beat back the demon's control over a person so that you can evangelize. Them. Right. Right. It's kind of like, you know, they can get their head above water
0: for a minute because, you know, the, the demon is like weakened. It, you know, you got my blood pumping here because so this is why, brother, says exactly what Gomer just said. This is why the Blessed Mother is so important in spiritual warfare. Because Mary is the mirror of dogma, right? She, she affirms and protects everything that Jesus Christ is. And this is why she's so powerful against evil. Because Satan is always trying to distort who God is and how he views us and how we view God. So all of the great heresies, all of them were a, a, a manifestation of inner spiritual warfare uh, happening, just raging. And this is exactly the way the church understood this, exactly the way the fathers and the, and the great saints who preached against these understood it as spiritual warfare. And it, it, even to the point where uh, when St. Dominic is preaching against the great heresies, Mary appears to him and says, look, here's the answer. It is, she called the angelic psalter, which is the mysteries of the rosary. Why? Because in the mysteries over the rosary, what do we see? We see who Jesus truly is and what He did for us, and this is why it's so important to to keep that in mind. That when we're preaching the charisma and preaching who Jesus Christ is, this is an offensive act to the world of evil, and so when we're evangelists, we are going to receive pushback in the sense that we're going to be under—we're not going to be able to understand why isn't this person why do they feel chained? Why do they feel uh, restrained? Why are they you know, responding to the gospel? Sometimes it's just natural things. They haven't jumped these hurdles. But we have to, as mature evangelists say, it's also possible that the devil is trying to hold this person back. And not, not just possible, it's happening. And we have to be prepared for that. We need to be ready to pray against these things and, and to understand how to deal with those things. Uh, this is... This is the faith of the fathers and reaffirmed again, speaking of by the council fathers of Vatican II. Vatican II talks about the devil in several occasions. The council fathers understood it exactly the same way, right? That the devil is trying desperately to distort who Jesus Christ is. Why? Because if we don't know who Jesus is, we don't know what he can do for us. If we don't know what we can do for us, we can't accept that redemption that he gives us.
1: Yeah. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and following, Be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers, I love that description of the church, throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. That's from our first pope, <laughs> in 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 8 and 9 if you think about this number one it tells you that it's that it's a personal force right it is an envious devourous evil thing that is trying to destroy your uh your birthright earned for you by Jesus Christ purchased for you by Jesus Christ right so this beautiful this beautiful gift that we have in Christ one of the reasons as evangelists we need to understand this is as we engage in spiritual warfare, we realize we propose the good news that your sin does not define us. The devil is proposing the bad news that all you are is your sin, that repentance and forgiveness is never possible. Think about Judas and Peter. Peter repented unto the Lord. Judas repented unto himself and committed suicide. The greatest act that the devil can do is to get you to mortal sin and then despair of ever Finding forgiveness. I'm not worthy. Well, guess what? None of us are worthy. None of us are worthy of the death of God. But when we surrender to that, then we realize who am I to keep this gift to myself? So I want to wrap it up uh, with uh, right before we go to commercial and then head out to our take fives. There is a little snippet. um, Church, we have in the Catholic Church, we have this great tradition of encouraging short little spontaneous prayers. And one of my favorites, when I am undergoing crazy temptations, like when you feel like you're overwhelmed. Do you ever get like that, Dave? No, I do all the time. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you never do. Uh, Right now. Just (laughs) just kidding. I'm just kidding. But (laughs) talking to me, you want just nothing but anger. Um, But there is a line from a great prayer called the Anima Christi, uh, Soul of Christ. And it is a beautiful prayer. Uh, but there is this great line, and I, I say this one little part, within your wounds hide me, from the malicious enemy defend me. And I will just repeat that calmly, patiently. Like, this is the foxhole. The, we're, we're blessed that the foxhole of the body of Christ is the sacred wounds that he suffered on the cross. So within your wounds hide me, from the malicious enemy defend me. He's the one that has the victory. I have to let his grace win the day. Cool. So uh, coming right back, we're going to talk about our Take Fives, practical takeaways for spiritual warfare and your evangelization. I'm Mike Gormley, joined by Dave Van Vickle. If you want to email us, we also have a new email address, eksb at ascensionpress.com, or every knee shall bow, eksb at ascensionpress.com. Email us, give us your feedback, let us know if this is helping you and how we can address any concerns or questions that you might have.
2: Wouldn't it be nice to have a Bible that actually explains how to navigate it and make sense of it? A Bible that includes a detailed plan for how to read it with a page layout that's designed for study and personal devotion? Now for the first time ever, there is a Catholic Bible that does just that. A Bible that incorporates the same color-coded learning system that has proven so effective in the Great Adventure studies. I have had the privilege of working with some of the most talented Biblical scholars of our day, Mary Healy, Andrew Swafford, and Peter Williamson, to create the Great Adventure Catholic Bible. This Bible makes the complex simple as it guides you through the narrative woven throughout salvation history. The translation is the Revised Standard Version, Second Catholic Edition an elegant, accurate, and modern Catholic translation. The Great Adventure Catholic Bible is perfect for your personal devotion and Bible study, or as a gift for friends and family. If you want to understand sacred scripture and be transformed by the Word of God, then this is the Bible for you. Pick up your copy at ascensionpress.com.
0: All right, we are back talking about spiritual warfare and evangelization, and we've got five practical takeaways for you to take this week, uh, dealing specifically with this topic, right? Uh, It's a practical thing, right? This is happening. If you're evangelizing, you're experiencing the battle between the gates of hell and the kingdom of God, right? So we want to make sure that you understand a little bit about this as you're out there uh, battling for the Lord. So we're going to give you some uh, some practical takeaways here. A lot of them have to do specifically with, uh, with spiritual warfare.
1: Yeah, so number one, my homeboy, pray the St. Michael the Archangel prayer. Um, at my parish, ever since the summer of scandal broke, we have been praying the St. Michael the Archangel prayer at the end of every Mass as a community. It is a powerful, so powerful good. prayer. That's it's so one good. of several Leonine prayers that's attributed to Pope Leo the Thirteenth, who should be a saint in my, in my estimation. Um, he... Uh, there's a great story behind it. I'm not going to go into the story, but the St. Michael, the archangel prayer, you should have it memorized if you're, if you, if you are, uh, taking this fight seriously. So that's number one.
0: Number two, uh, just like, uh, Gomer was talking about, right? St. Michael is one of a host of heaven. Many angels who are there to worship God, to, uh, interact with humanity and to help us get to surrender to Jesus Christ, uh, and we've kind of lost a lot of our devotion to the angels. And so for number two, I want you to rekindle your relationship with your guardian angel, okay? Either by memorizing a, a short prayer to your guardian angel or starting to learn a little bit more about what guardian angels are and how they help us and how they interact with us. Um, and again, remember, you always want to keep it in balance here. Your guardian angel not, is not your secretary. Or you can't you don't want to send him for tasks or things like that, right? Uh or your guardian angel has one purpose and that's to help get you to heaven. And uh you know, to make sure that you're you're developing a clear and and, and a, a very ordered
1: relationship with your guardian angel because uh he's our ally. He is our ally. Quick question that I know some of our listeners are going to ask. Should I have a name from my guardian angel for my guardian angel? Which is No, 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 no. No. The church definitively
0: has said that we are not to name our guardian angels, right? They're not a pet. Naming is a sense of power over a thing, right? If I create a child with God, right, then I can name my child. But we did not create the angels, uh, and so we should not do that. I, I also would caution you against asking your guardian angel to reveal it to you. Maybe if, you, if you're if Padre Pio or if you're a saint, then I think that might be safe. But in other cases, I think I would I would just – Take the the little T tradition of the church
1: with the angels and, and follow it to a T, right? There you go. Um, number three, I'm going to say, um, just do some light reading, right? You can literally just Google this. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. This is a very... Lots of light reading. Yeah, (laughs) lots of light reading. No, I mean, like, just read. There's a couple articles that you can read that come up on the first search page of Google, right? So the idea of St. Joseph as the terror of demons is one of the titles we give him in the great litanies of St. Joseph. And uh, it's one of my favorites. I know personally, when I was struggling mightily with a terrible relationship that I was in. I wrote out a prayer to St. Joseph, and I put it in my breast pocket, and I remember I'm in the middle of the worst situation. I'm trying to find a way out. I touched that prayer, prayed it, and then it just, it was was awesome. Like, I truly felt that God's grace was entering into my life. Like, St. Joseph is no slouch, my friend. So, uh, especially if you feel beset by temptations that are, Of a habitual nature, right? Terror of demons, St. Joseph, go learn more about that. Number four, uh, I want you to um,
0: read Colossians, okay? Colossians chapters one and two. I want you to read about it because it kind of talks a lot about what Gomer and I were saying today. And it really gets across this idea that our warfare has a lot to do with who God is and who – God's Son Jesus Christ is, and what He wants to do in our life. Uh, so read Colossians one and two, and prayerfully read it. Do a little meditation on it. Take some time. Uh, it's very short, so you
1: could probably read it once a day for the week. So it's a this is an easy read. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and number five, what we want you to do is a Marian consecration. Father Michael Gately has this wonderful thirty-three days of Morning Glory. There's a nine-day Marian consecration. If you have never done a Marian consecration to Jesus through Mary. If you've never done it, I would encourage you to uh, begin looking and researching into this. The St. Louis de Montfort um, Marian Consecration, it's intense. Yeah, that's intense uh, for people. But. It's intense, but hey, but hey, <laughs> we're, we're all about it, right? right? That's right. Um, but there are different forms of Marian Consecration, and so there's a nine-day, there's a 33-day, there's a 40-day. So I would encourage you to research one of these and to actually do a Marian Consecration. And that has been this episode of Every Knee Shall Bow, Evangelization
0: and Spiritual Warfare. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you learned something and we'll be excited to see you again or hear you again next week. Please let us know your feedback here. We really want to hear about how these practical takeaways are going. Again, you can email us at everykneeshallbow at ascensionpress.com or EKSB at ascensionpress.com. And please, if you got a minute, give us a, a rating on iTunes or whatever you use to listen to this podcast. I'm Dave Van Vickel And I'm Mike Gormley. God love you. God bless.